Today on Ag News Daily. I don't know that that's the factor. I think it's going to be available supplies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, up until just the last couple of weeks, we saw the uh, soybean forward curve was inverted. Well, now that has changed a little bit. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Hashtag Market Monday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined by Ashton Carr today. Ashton, I tell you what, I had a crazy week last week. I started traveling and I just was playing catch up on Friday and had to throw the podcast your way. But I got to chat with the Ohio Bankers League on Thursday last week. Got to chat with some bankers there and I get to chat with Ohio, excuse me, Illinois bankers this week. So I'm getting to see lots of banking groups heading into the fall season here. Well, Delaney, I've got to tell you, I had a little bit of a crazy week as well. I was gearing up, of course, for school to start. Today was my first day, and I'm I'm happy because I have two classes this semester. One of them's online, but the other's in person. This is the first time that I've really been to an in-person class without any um, mask mandates or or anything of that nature in a year and a half. And while I'm happy to be back on campus and be back around people, I've got to say the parking lots were a cluster today. I almost had an anxiety attack because people were everywhere. I couldn't find a parking spot. I just got a little bit too worked up and I, I guess I need to stop and reflect on that. But it was a crazy day for sure. Well, yeah, at least you're back in person, Ashton. So it's a little give and take, right? Yes, you're right. Yeah, I think that I've just kind of assimilated to being alone a lot and not really leaving my house a whole lot. And so to actually be back um, in a busy area with lots of people, it was like a culture shock. Well, sometimes that's good for you. I guess you're right. I guess you're right, Delaney. But you and I, I feel like we haven't talked in a long time. So why don't you go ahead and kick things off for us? Do you have any good news stories to catch us up on for the day? Well, I do have this good piece of news, exciting piece of news for dairy producers. And that is some additional funding that's going to go towards producers who lost money during the pandemic. About $350 million is earmarked now for partially compensating dairy producers who lost revenue because of market disruptions during COVID-19. But this is part of a new pandemic market volatility assistance program, which can cover 80% of the difference between the revenue producers actually made from July through December of last year and what they could have earned had the pricing formula not changed. But the assistance will be limited to the first 5 million pounds of milk that was marketed. And the National Milk Producers Federation estimates that producers lost in total more than $725 million. So this $350 million is just a small portion of that, of course, but it is a little bit of something to help with smoothing that over in the interim. Well, Delaney, I have some interesting news. At least it's interesting to me because I'm pretty interested in ag-gag laws. And the oldest ag-gag law in the U.S. has been declared unconstitutional by the 10th Circuit Court of Appeals for violating the First Amendment. I think that ag-gag laws are are pretty important. And I, I just 
kind of find them fascinating, especially when they come to First Amendment rights and things of that nature. And the court upheld a lower court ruling that said that three provisions of the Kansas law targeted speech because it regulated what would be said to gain access to animal agriculture facilities. The court's decision affirms that videos, articles, advocacy, and public dialogue generated by whistleblowing and undercover investigations of factory farms and slaughterhouses are a matter of public concern, and Kansas may not legislate speech to silence views critical of animal agriculture. George Kimbrell, who is the legal director for the Center for Food Safety, says that such laws, quote, strip Americans of their fundamental right to know how their food is produced while enabling the inhumane treatment of farm animals. The Kansas Coalition, who won the case, is comprised of the Animal Legal Defense Fund, the Center for Food Safety, and State Farmed Animal Organizations, Shy 38 Incorporated, and Hope Sanctuary. Now, this Kansas Ag-Gag law was enacted in 1990, and there are nine other lawsuits challenging similar, similar laws around the U.S. And I think that a lot of these whistleblowing and ag-gag um, laws, things of that nature, are really where a lot of consumers have gotten a bad taste in their mouth when it comes to animal agriculture, and especially factory farming. Um, so I'm going to be looking out for this. I think that this is Pretty interesting. Like I said, I've always kind of taken an interest to ag-ag laws, and I think this is really one of the first pieces of news related to ag-ag laws that we've really talked about in maybe the whole time I've been on the podcast, Delaney. Yeah, I was thinking that too, Ashton. There uh, definitely have been a lot of ag-gag laws that we've talked about on the podcast, but those were probably pre-your time. Yeah, I think I first got interested into ag-gag laws. I feel like it was a, a big um, piece of news and a big talk whenever I was a sophomore, junior in high school, which was a long time ago, it feels like. So I think that I've got some catching up to do. Maybe just a little bit, but that's okay. We'll allow you to have that time to catch up, Ashton. And one thing that's also caught up with us now have been fertilizer prices. Most average retail fertilizer prices continued on the rise during the month of August year and, and so far year to date. Last week, we saw six of the eight major fertilizer companies were higher compared to last month with potash being the most significant amount, about 5% or, excuse me, about 13% or higher compared to the month prior. So it's crazy to look to uh, DTN shares or has been calculating the average retail potash price since the beginning of the year compared to the five-year average as well as 2020 and 2019. And it is just significantly higher I mean, the chart basically is going on a straight line, straight trajectory up compared to the past, you know, a couple of years. The five year average was pretty much a flat line straight across. Uh, but this year definitely has seen retail fertilizer prices skyrocket. Now about $560 per ton is what those are averaging. So farmers are definitely feeling that a little bit in their pocketbooks this year, even with increased commodity prices. I'm glad that you're keeping an eye out on that, Delaney. We did talk about fertilizer prices quite some time ago. So folks, if you want to get situated with that, learn a little bit more, you can always go to adnewsdaily.com. But for now, I want to take things back to the 2023 Farm Bill, Delaney. We talked about this last week and we have some more news, I think just kind of clarifying and affirming what we already knew 
Um, ranking member of the House Ag Committee, Glenn Thompson, is spending the August congressional recess connecting with farmers about priorities for the 2023 Farm Bill. Thompson has had several Midwest locations in his travel plans, including a recent policy discussion at the Illinois State Fair along fellow committee members. And he was quoted as saying, this to me is about listening, learning, and leading. I'm really looking forward to hearing from farmers and commodity groups about what is working, what farm bill programs are effective, and what is not working, what are problems, what is not being addressed, and what emerging issues are out there. He told Brownfield Ag News that the top priorities he has gathered so far. He said that there's a lot of issues. The common themes are rural broadband, workforce, the need for more processors, specifically protein processors. And he's also hearing that people are very concerned about threats to raise the capital gains tax. And then he says that the icing on the cake is the fact that they are talking about restoring the 2015 Obama Waters of the U.S., otherwise known as WOTUS. Thompson wants input from diverse groups of farmers to best improve these issues. And I think a lot of these are already topics that we kind of spitballed at each other last week, Delaney. So just another, you know, follow up here on the farm bill. And I'm excited to see some more news about this rolling out. Yeah, and again, it seems crazy early to think that we're talking about this already, but it really is kind of just right behind the corner, Ashton. So glad that you are keeping an eye on that. But, uh, you know, I was keeping an eye a little bit on the weather this weekend because we did see some finally timely rains that hit parched areas in the northern plains and northwestern midwest over the past couple of days which is of course very positive news for those folks they've been quite quite dry and we touch on that a little bit here with darren newsom coming up for today's hashtag market monday minute but we also saw quite a few areas miss out some of these timely rains including points in southern iowa and across the eastern portion of the midwest so we're again seeing some late timely rains but as we've talked a little bit about on the podcast, they are very scattered right now. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see what numbers we see, what harvest numbers we see coming out of the field come this fall, which really is only maybe about three to four weeks away, Ash, and that we'll start to see combines roll. Well, you know, Delaney, speaking of weather, I had some unfortunate news coming out of India. I really don't know if it would be considered news, really just kind of a weather update here coming from that part of the world as their summer sown crop planting has been lagging as they are receiving below normal rainfall. So kind of in the same boat, I think, as some producers here in the U.S. are. And this is raising concerns about food grain production in the third biggest economy in Asia. Asia. India is the world's biggest exporter of rice and top importer of edible oils, and a drop in production could not only limit rice and cotton exports, but also boost imports of edible oils such as palm oil, sunflower oil, and soy oil. Indian farmers had planted about 25.8 million acres with summer crops as of August 20th, and that's just down 1.6% from a year earlier. Farmers will typically start planting these summer sown crops on June 1st when monsoon rains usually reach India, and then planting continues until early August. But we've seen a, a decrease in rains and a decrease in production or production of planting, I should say. They have received 
9% below average monsoon rain since the beginning of summer, although in some regions, the deficit is as high as 58%. So like I said, this is impacting cotton as well as rice. So I'm going to keep an eye out on this, see if they get any rain as well. Of course, like you were mentioning there, Delaney, if any of our U.S. producers are seeing some rain moving into harvest season. Certainly are. And that has definitely added some pressure to the markets, Ashton. But I wanted to add just one other quick piece of news here as we head into chat markets with Darren Newsom. And that is a an export sale that he's going to reference here coming up in just a moment. A big sale, I should say, headed to China. 458,600 tons of corn headed to, excuse me, not China, headed to Mexico. Uh, that was reported this morning by the USDA. And as we'll touch on this a little bit more, so I won't steal too much of that thunder away. But we do see, or we have been seeing quite a bit of sales not so much when it comes to the shipment side of things. So we'll touch on that here in just a moment, Ashton. But besides that, do you have any other piece of news that we should be aware of before we chat markets for today? I am all out of things to hear. I'm ready to listen and see where the markets ended since I wasn't a part of today's Market Monday conversation, Delaney. Fantastic, Ashton. I am excited to chat about it as well. So we saw, I think all in all here, a pretty much lack of trading, lack of excitement in today's Market Monday. And I think that comes as no surprise. You know, we've been chatting a little bit with analysts who've said, yeah, heading into harvest, we're probably going to see things chop sideways. And today was no different with that, even with that large export sale announced by the USDA this morning. September corn closed down three quarters of a cent to end at 538. The D's down a penny and a half to end at 535 and a half. Soybeans today made slight movement to the upside as the September contract closed a quarter of a cent higher to end at 12.94. The November up two cents to close at 12.92 and three quarters. Chicago wheat today higher as the September contract added five and a half cents to close at 7.19 and three quarters. The Dees up five and a quarter to close at 7.34 and a half. And hopping over to take a look at the livestock markets today, we saw mixed trade across the protein markets as the October live cattle contract higher $2.90 to end at 131.95. The Dees up $2.30 to close at 136.82 and a half. Feeder cattle were higher today as well, with the September contract closing $1.80 higher to end at $167.30. The October, not quite limit up today, but did close $3.05 higher on the day to end at $170.67 and a half. And hopping down into the lean hog markets, this is where we saw some weakness today with the October contract down $1.15 to close at $87.47 and a half. The D's down $0.30 cents to close at $81.40. And wrapping things up here with the class three dairy milk futures. The September contract up 42 cents today to close at 1747. The October up 28 cents to close at 1733. Ashton, without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation with Darren Newsom. Well, folks, for today's Hashtag Market Monday episode, we are chatting once again with Darren Newsom of Darren Newsom Analysis. Darren, it's great to have you back on today. Oh, good to visit with you again, Delaney. Darren, I wanted to touch base here. We just had the Pro Farmer Crop Tour last week. We <laughs> saw some pretty good yields coming out of the field there. I know you're not a big reports guy, but do you put any weight into those numbers that they were pulling? No, not at all. Um, they are what they are. 
uh, you know, you got a bunch of people out, look, you know, walking around fields. Uh, there's a system supposedly that give you what the yield is. I've, I've seen it too many times. I mean, maybe they're close. Maybe they're not. There's, there's really no reason to put much emphasis on this thing, I, except for it gives folks something to talk about during a week in late August when everyone's tired of summer, you know, everyone's waiting for harvest, uh, but it gives them something to talk about. So we have crop tours. The reality is, let's just wait to harvest. We'll find out what the yield really is. I mean, I know people have fun and they're very popular when they, when they post their findings, but the big picture is we'll just have to wait until the combines roll. Yeah. And that's going to happen sooner rather than later here. It's crazy to think we're probably just at a month, maybe a little less than that away from getting into the fields and seeing what happens here. But Darren, until that time, until we actually see what's coming out of the field for corn and soybeans, what can we expect as far as price action goes here for new crop corn and soybeans? Well, you know, the most interesting thing about, about corn is that we've seen massive uh, non-commercial long liquidation. They've, they've reduced their, net long futures position since mid-April by about 230-some thousand contracts. And we really couldn't break the market all that much. I mean, we put some pressure on it, but we didn't break it all that much. So the most likely move, particularly with long-term fundamentals still bullish, and I don't care what USDA says, I don't care what crop tours say, but if we look at what the actual market is telling us about fundamentals, long-term fundamentals are still bullish. And so the most likely move by non-commercial traders is that they're going to step back in, they're going to start buying again. Uh, so, you know, we've got that ahead of us. Now, will that be because production isn't there? Will it be because of stronger demand? We have no idea. I know there is some concern about demand, all three legs of, of corn's demand, uh, as we look ahead into 2021-22. So that tells us that right now, you know, possibly there is some, you know, as far as the bullish side, possibly some concern about uh, about acres and, and, you know, yield and overall production because demand's a huge question mark. It's a huge unknown. And I don't care who's guessing about it. Nobody knows what next year's demand is going to be. I just know that there's warning signs on all three of those legs of the demand stool. What warning signs are there, Darren? Well, number one, you know, we're hearing rumors. I don't know how true they are, but we're hearing rumors that the, the, the ethanol blend uh, mandate's going to be below 2020 levels. That's not good. Uh, that's not bullish for uh, that's not bullish for for corn demand for domestic corn demand because we've seen that kind of top and, and we're seeing start to to possibly come down a little bit. Feed demand, the most recent cattle on feed, we continued to see lower placement numbers, and we saw a two percent decrease, I think, in on feed numbers. Uh, again, that's seasonal. I don't get too worked up about it. The market certainly seemed to be in a frenzy today, but I, I don't get too worked up about it. That's more of a seasonal move. We'll see what happens once we get into the into the fall. But nevertheless, it's fewer cattle eating right now. It's you know, so we don't have feed demand, and in some cases, we saw wheat uh, replacing corn anyway over the last year. And then exports, uh, exports going to finish off this marketing year a little bit slow. 
I know there was a nice sale uh, or a sale announced on Monday morning, Mm -hmm. Uh, but, you know, we never know what the next marketing year is going to be for exports. We don't know what, you know, what's going to happen. You know, we have to wait and see what what goes on with the dollar. And there's talk that the dollar could strengthen. The Fed could make a move on interest rates over the next year. So, you know, exports or exports have a question mark attached to them as well. So all three legs, you know, are they're They're always unknown variables, but there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot more, there's a lot more questions attached to these unknown variables as we come up on the end of the 2020-21 marketing year. Jared, I want to go back to exports here for a second, because like you said, today, we got a good, nice little sale here for corn. We've seen quite a bit here for soybeans as well. But I think the bigger question that poses is if we do see some sort of post-harvest rally here, are we going to continue to see Chinese demand or will that be stifled by the fact that we do have higher prices? I don't don't think, I, I mean, really, let's... It's not going to really depend on you know because we we saw we saw buying when when markets were extremely high so I don't know that that's the factor I think it's going to be available supplies mm-hmm. and you know up until just the last couple of weeks we saw the uh, soybean forward curve was inverted well now that has changed a little bit so you know there was concern that the 2021 U.S. soybean crop was not going to rebuild our supplies this is a supply issue. You know, yes, you know, as, as 2020, 21 comes to an end, we've seen a down, you know, we've seen export demand basically drop off in both corn and soybeans. Not again, not hugely unusual, but particularly in soybeans, we just don't have the, we don't have the supplies to move right now. So I think it's going to be more of an issue. When do the world's largest buyers feel like they can step in? Do they want to step in before the US dollar gets stronger? And if they can do it while the markets have been selling off here recently, all the better. And so we have seen some sales being made now. You know, if if we see the non-commercial or the fund money coming back in and start to push this market higher and fundamentals stay bullish, then it's going to get to be a question. You know, does Brazil rebuild its supply so that they don't have so that, you know, the world doesn't have to come to the U.S. door this time around with with high prices? So there's all of these unknowns that, that you know, simply that we, we can't know at this point, uh, but certainly it's going to make for an interesting 2021-22 market year because we don't have many supplies. I mean, our, we have tight mm-hmm. supplies going into the next year. Aaron, is that really the sole reason that we've seen, especially on the corn side of things, basis be at these elevated levels? I mean, you look at the at just various basis heat maps right now, we're seeing 80 cents or higher as far as basis goes. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. The previous four years... USDA overestimated U.S. stocks, and we could see that in the cash market. And all through, you know, the, at least the latter half of this uh, 2020-21, the indication is that USDA is now underestimating U.S. stocks. But that having been said, you know, we have not seen that wave of, you know, if there were still bushels out in the country, that wave of those bushels coming to town, weakening basis, and so on. So we've still got some demand here in 2021. We still have tight supplies, either that or they're just tucked away and they're not getting moved. And yeah, that's helping to support basis because, you know, now we're going to see if that can last through a harvest season, because seasonally, that's when we see some pressure on basis. You know, we fought through it in 2020 and then we had a very strong marketing year for the most part and and, uh, certainly setting up as we head into the next market year, when we make that roll from, you know, the official roll of the index from September to December here at the end of this month, 
you know, basis is still going to be strong. And from what I'm hearing, you know, merchandisers aren't backing off yet. Well, it's certainly good news there for farmers. Maybe not so much if you're an end user, but Darren, our, my final question for you before we move on here to touching on wheat, new crop corn and soybeans post-harvest, what's what's the charts telling you technically as far as maybe an area of resistance? Yep, anything's possible. Uh, what I would be looking for is is where are our support levels? And, you know, from a technical point of view, Corn is kind of interesting, you know, it fell through 540, then it, you know, moved uh, to 530 today, did not fall through 530 today on the, it did, it went to 529 and a half. So that kind of opens the door up to the next level of 520. So maybe we continue to grind the, uh, the corn market a little bit lower in here. On the soybean market, looking at Nov beans, the technical target, and this is purely technical, throwing fundamentals out the window right now, is down around 1160. And, you know, here we are sitting at 1292. Do I honestly think that November beans could back off, at, you know, another dollar and a quarter, dollar 30? No, I, I, I don't think so. So I, I don't know that that check technical pattern is going to play out, you know, the way that it probably should uh, or it could have, you know, in, in, in different times. But I do think the market could come down a little bit. You know, let's get through August. Let's get through early September. But as long as those spreads stay bullish, as long as, you know, as long as we continue to see commercial support in both markets, I, I really don't think these markets are going to collapse. And then if all of a sudden the funds come pouring back in and fundamentals stay bullish, there's no way of, of guessing what a top is. I always get a chuckle out of the folks that do that. <laughs> well, they try, but nobody has a crystal ball or if they do, they wouldn't be uh, coming on the podcast exactly. to chat about it. If if they knew what the top actually was going to be, I mean, I could sit there. I could be I could be the guy that says, "Oh, corn's going to eight dollars," or the person that says, "Yeah, soybeans are going to thirty dollars." There's no reason to play that game. Let's just see. Let's just see what. Let's see what the activity is when the funds start coming back in. Let's see what the dollar's doing. Let's see what all these outside for. I mean, we saw what a, a four dollar rally in crude oil today. Anything's possible in these markets. I mean, it, when the money starts coming back in. When the investors start coming back in, there's there's no way just to say, oh, corn's going to $8, soybeans are going to $30. It's ridiculous to do that. We we don't know how high they might go. Darren, let's switch tracks here and talk a little bit about the wheat markets. We're still continuing to see some production issues in other parts of the country as well as here. What are we, what are we thinking? And, and also, which, which wheat market are you most bullish right now? The wheat market I'm most bullish is spring wheat. It's got an inverted forward curve. And I honestly think that is supporting the winter markets right now because the winter markets had what what I always find interesting. Uh, they had the rubber band disposition develop in both Chicago and Kansas City, more 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 pronounced in the Chicago market where we had non-commercials continuing to add to their their long futures, and at the same time we saw the the futures spreads collapse so much so that we saw the SEP DS spread move into an 80% call. You know, it was covering 80% calculated full commercial carry. That's that's incredibly bearish. Uh, it even brought up a question about, you know, is this going to kick uh, variable storage rates in? And you you know from past experience how much fun I have talking about variable mm -hmm. storage rates. <laughs> um, but, you know, that question did come up because, you know, once you get to that 80% level, you know, it, it, uh, it kind of raises a flag. And as we look out to the D-Smart Chicago, I mean, we're, we're beyond 70% or we're right at 70% calculated full commercial carry as well. So it's it's a very bearish situation fundamentally. At the same time, we've had funds buying into the market. And I've heard from people around the world saying, yeah, you know, but Russia's crop is terrible and we've got problems here and we've got problems there. We've got problems everywhere. That's fine. That's good. Those are, those are all I understand. The market doesn't care. 
The market's showing us a sharp carry, a strong carry in the U.S. market. So there is a, again, there is, there is what we all know from the news, from what everybody's telling us, from this, from that, from whatever source. And there's what the market's saying. And as I always have, I'll, I'll, I'll go with the market uh, because that, that's where the prices are set. Darren, you mentioned that the market is showing us some carry. Remind us just for those of our listeners who haven't listened to you talk, that's obviously a big thing that you hit on. Tell us again what that means that the market is showing us. All right. So if you've got your nearby contract, uh, say, let's let's just pull up wheat here. If you've got your nearby contract at 720 and your December contract, the first deferred's out at 734, you got a 14 cent carry. So then what you do is you have to weigh that. Okay, what is the total cost of carry? What's the total cost storage and interest to hold those bushels in commercial storage? And way back when, when I was a merchandiser, I I just came up with a simple table uh, of breaking it up into thirds. 33% or less could be considered bullish. 67% or less, or excuse me, 67% or more could be considered bullish, bearish. I want to get that right. And so when we've got spreads, 70, 80% of calculated full commercial carry or full commercial carry, that's bearish. That means, means merchandisers do not need your product right now. They are telling you, they, they're paying you to not sell it to them. And if someone's paying you to not sell something, that means there's plenty to go around. That means there's not a tight supply situation. It means there's more supply than demand. And so that's what the Chicago market's been telling us, and to a certain degree, Kansas City as well. But you flip that, and if we look at the uh, if we look at the Minneapolis market, where we've got the nearby contract at nine twenty five, and we've got the September excuse me the December contract at nine oh six, we've got a nineteen cent inverse. That's incredible. So we know that we're short supply spring wheat. Of course, it's been desert like across the northern plains uh, the entire spring, summer, fall, whatever. Uh, so it's it's incredibly dry. The the spring wheat crop is getting is getting hurt or has been hurt as they're making their way through harvest. So we know we're tight supply there, and, and the market's telling us that because it's inverted, and that's the situation we also had in soybeans. Up in here again, till here recently, when when the market moved back from an inverse into a carry, and it's not a strong carry, but uh, it did move back into a carry. Here, and let's wrap things up here with the livestock markets. Mm-hmm. Let's talk cattle specifically. They just continue yeah. to push higher, especially the live cattle market. When's it going to fizzle out here? You know, that's it's this is one that's been causing me a great deal of consternation because again. You know, if we look at the situation, we've got we got we have bearish spreads in in the live cattle market, and we continue to see these futures contracts push higher every day, every week, and so on. So we're getting this again, this rubber band situation, this rubber band disposition, uh, you know, occurring where you know tr- it's trending up and it's getting more bearish fundamentally. Bottom line is the trend will not change. We have not seen, uh, you know, we have not seen that trigger to, to bring more selling into the market. Mm-hmm. You know, on the cash side, you know, particularly in the Southern market, you know, sticking around that 121 to 123, just having a hard time moving. I did hear some trade in the North, a few loads moving at 130 over the weekend or into the weekend. So, you know, that gives everyone hope that, you know, maybe we're going to see the overall cash market finally start to move higher, break out of this rut that it's been in, try to make a move to, to get back in line with the box beef. But the problem is we've, we've, got this break between the box beef and the live cattle market, the cash cattle market, and we've had it for a year or more. But whether or not we're just going to all of a sudden solve the situation, uh, you know, here within the next week or two, it seems unlikely. 
But for whatever reason, live cattle want to continue to go up. I don't really want to stand in the way right now. Do I think it's a bearish market fundamentally? Absolutely. Uh, it's just, it's one of those, it's, it's in that situation until the trend changes, until the non-commercial traders start selling this market. It's just hard to be the first one to go in and sell. And that's what we should be watching for then, Darren, is just to see what happens with the commercial traders. They'll be the best indication, you think, as far as when this market is trending differently? Yeah, it'd probably be the non-commercial side. Again, this would be Newton's uh, first law of motion applied to markets. You know, a trending market will stay in that trend until acted upon by an outside force. That outside force is almost always the non-commercial side because right now they are ignoring the fundamentals. The commercials are telling us this is a bearish market, the way the spreads are set up. But the non-commercial side continues to buy, and they're, they're just too big to fade. They're too big to, to fight against at this point. you got to stay in step with the trend, whether or not you believe it or not, whether or not it's fundamentally backed or not. But when it turns, then all of a sudden, then you've got that rubber band situation again where it's going to snap back, and it's going to try to get back in line with its fundamentals. So we have to look for that reversal pattern. We have to look you know, to try to, to catch when – that change in attitude from the funds, from the non-commercial side, when that occurs. Fantastic. Well, Darren, before I let you go, if folks want to get your updated thoughts, you do quite a bit of writing lately, so I hear. Uh, tell us where we can find some of your writings. <laughs> yeah, obviously, you can go to my to my page, the DarrenNewsom.com. Take a look around. Uh, go to the services page, and you can sign up for the free trial that we have. Uh, there you can see all of the commentary, all the analysis, everything that we put up over the course of however long you want to look at it. Uh, and then I also do some writing uh, for my friends at Bar Chart. I, I post two or three things for them each week that you can go to their site and see as well. So, you know, I try, I try to stay out there, uh, try to continue to post things. Uh, it, it's fun that way. Fantastic. Well, Darren, thanks again for coming on today and chatting, Mark. It's certainly appreciate it. Uh, always good to visit with you, Delaney. again there to Darren for coming on and chatting markets with us. I always like to hear from Darren. I think he definitely has an interesting view on the markets, Delaney. He certainly does. A little different than other folks. Of course, he's a very technical analyst. And as he mentioned there, he is not a big government reports guy. So he is really looking at the markets, the technicals to tell him what we need to know about the markets. So it's great to have his insight as well as others that have uh, different thoughts from one another, because I think that's what makes things interesting, Ashton. I definitely would agree with you there. And I certainly think that the Ag News Daily Podcast is always keeping things interesting. We always have a, a pretty diverse set of conversations that we have every week. So folks, you'll have to tune in at agnewsdaily.com to keep up with the diversity and interesting conversations that we're having. And I have some good news that we're going to continue our Ag Labor mini series into the month of September. So be sure to keep up, keep up with us there. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.